welcome to the United States Air Force Academy and the third annual U.S. Spacecom Legal Conference. I'm Lieutenant Commander Tyler Stutton, the Coast Guard Liaison to the Center for Law and Military Operations, and together with Captain Joel Hood, the Marine Corps Liaison, we're happy to introduce our listeners to Major Aaron Brindelson, U.S. Air Force, and Professor Michelle Hanlon, the co-director of the Center for Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Major Brindelson is an active duty Air Force judge advocate who is currently assigned to the Air and Space Law graduate program at Ole Miss. Major Brindelson will be graduating this spring. Congrats, Aaron, and headed right back here to Colorado Springs and Spacecom as the legal advisor to Joint Task Force Space Defense. Aaron, we're gonna give you the reins today, big responsibility to interview our distinguished guest. She's the co-director of the Air and Space Law Program at Ole Miss, editor-in-chief of the Journal of Space Law and the Journal of Drone Law and Policy, president of For All Moonkind, Inc., and president of the National Space Society. She also just got off the stage as a panelist on the Commercial Partnerships panel, alongside reps from the FAA, Lockheed Martin, and Relativity Space. Thank you both for joining us. And Aaron, the podcast is all yours. Great. Uh, thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Joel, for having us. Um, we're really excited to be doing this podcast. And before I get into the meat of the conversation, I just want to talk a little bit about the center for those who aren't familiar with it. The center is um, the oldest LLM program in air and space law and the only um, program exclusively in air and space law in the United States. Um, and so it's one of three universities that host uh, funded LLM students that end up working in space operations law. Um, and I'm a proud current student there, and we have a couple alumni who are also walking around the conference this week. And um, so the purpose of this this podcast is we're going to do some very quick um, lightning round questions with Professor Hanlon. These are complex issues, obviously, so um, it's going to be it's going to be tough for Professor Hanlon to to try to keep these uh, very succinct. And so, but we're going to we're going to do our best here. I'm going to go lightning round. So first question, Professor. How has the war in Ukraine affected the legal issues that are facing commercial space companies? Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. And I just want to make the point that I'm a lawyer, so lightning is, has very different <laughs> meanings. Um, but I will try to be truly lightning. But the war in Ukraine, uh, well, of course, it's the concept of first uh, the Starlink, the use of Starlink by the Ukraine um, as, a, as an offensive weapon, uh, as a defensive communication weapon as well. Uh, and, and Vladimir Putin saying, uh, that now he considers Starlink and ergo uh, SpaceX, ergo Elon Musk, a, a legitimate target of war. And so it's bringing sort of up to a boil all of the issues with respect to what we call dual-use satellites in general. Every satellite has the capacity to be, to be used for military purposes. Does that make every satellite um, on orbit now a legitimate military target? Great. Next question. I know you're a little bit of an expert in uh, Chinese uh, legal policy, specifically with regards to space. So what have been some of the key space legal issues involving China? So the, the biggest issue with China is the understanding of what it means to uh, prevent war or keep, keep space peaceful. So uh, China keeps insisting that um, it is pro a big proponent of peace and we should, not, we should have all sorts of laws and treaties about not allowing peace, uh, space weaponry in space. Of course, then they produce lasers and they produce ASAT tests. And so we're, we're at a, a point of disagreement with China. But I think that's sort of the, the issue today. I think the issue that we really need to worry about and we have time to think about is looking at the way China uh, spreads 
spreads itself across territory. Um, we talk about the nine dash line, which they literally pulled off of a map from 1940 and decided that that was their boundary in the ocean. They are likely to do the exact same thing on the moon, thinking they are not violating international law at all. This is, this is the pressure point we're facing right now. Um, we need good international and space lawyers uh, to help us um, implement and enforce the law. Perfect. All right, so I know you just got off a panel that, with some folks from the FAA and from some uh, military contractors that was really focused on the domestic issues. Um, and so what are some of those domestic issues that are facing commercial space operators legally? What are always the issues with commercial space? There's too much regulation. <laughs> so the, um, yeah, and, and the fact is actually, um, the truth is there's not enough regulation and, uh, and not enough commercial, real, uh, commercial uh, space act actors understand that. You know, we need rules in order to uh, promote investment. Um, we need to tell our investors, we need to be able to tell them, look, if I get hit by another satellite, then I know I will get the money back because of this and this and this and this. And we need regulations to do that. But the commercial industry, and perhaps rightly so, are very worried that we're just going to go over the top with regulations. Um, Article 6 of the Outer Space Treaty says that a, a state, so the United States, has to authorize and supervise. And right now what we're looking at is all of these new activities in space, from space hotels to um, in-space manufacturing to um, rendezvous and proximity operations to you know on-orbit servicing. We don't have any rules for those right now. And the commercial industry is really nervous that uh, the government's just going to go too far. Um, it, it almost wiped out the commercial remote sensing industry uh, 20 years ago and we just need to keep our fingers crossed we need to no let me take that back we need to advocate very strongly to make sure that doesn't happen again um, I'm gonna go off script here a little bit so we, we keep hearing that there's these silos of different regulatory agencies there's the FAA there's NOAA there's the FCC what do you think about the idea of trying to create one unified regulatory body for for all of these issues related to space and, and what would that look like if we did do something like that Personally, I think the idea of a Department of Space is fantastic. Um, what we have is a process where it take, it, uh, some entities have to go to three different agencies. Um, and within those agencies, then what, this, was, this is what killed me. You guys are in the military, so you're probably very used to this. But there's MOUs between government agencies. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're all part of the <laughs> yeah. same government. Why do we need an MOU <laughs> to interact with each other? Um, but those things just slow everything down. And the problem right now is, um, and, and the FAA panelist herself said it today, the remit of the FAA is safety. Safety, safety, safety. And safety is not going to grow in industry. And so we really want to move a lot of this stuff. And, and I'm not saying we need to be reckless, but certainly there have to be other considerations. For example, um, if, if we can get broadband to rural communities faster, maybe we should do that, balance that against the safety risk. But uh, putting everything into one department, getting it on one track, um, will definitely streamline the process and make it easier for industry and probably easier between, you know, we can get rid of some of those MOUs um, and actually have agencies not cross-intersecting cross, cross each other. Another one of the, the big issues this week has been some of the military contractors expressing maybe some uncertainty about whether or not their assets would be protected um, in space if they were to be attacked and what that protection would look like. So what is the current state of international space law in regards to sort of the defense of commercial operators? And is, is there really a, a robust 
amount of law on this topic. So this is what is so incredibly exciting about space law, because there isn't anything. We have no idea what the rules are. Um, and that's why we need space lawyers, because we need people who are familiar with international law and familiar with space law to help us figure out what it looks like to protect our commercial industry in space. Space is a fundamental part of the US infrastructure. Everything we do here on Earth is somehow affected by space. Uh, I guarantee it, no matter what you're doing right now, you are somehow interacting with outer space. And so it is vital that we uh, figure out a way to protect our infrastructure in space, even though it's not in our sovereign territory, without violating inter international law. And that it, that is just one of the many things we need space lawyers to, to help, us, help us figure out today. So another issue is the growing commercialization of, of national security services and, and sort of the more reliance on these commercial operators. Uh, one of the, the issues that keeps being thrown out at this conference and in journals and as well is the idea of the space civil reserve fleet. Can you maybe explain that concept generally to the listener and what, what that would entail? Well, I can say what, what it means to me. So we have, um, you know, here on Earth, we have a, a civil air fleet. That's probably not the right term, sorry. Um, but where we, uh, uh, U.S. airlines have agreed um, that they will, if they are called up, they will um, help move troops. Or, for example, um, when the United States left Afghanistan, the commercial airlines pitched in to help move refugees from uh, bases in Germany to the, U to the continental United States. There are a lot of uh, technologies that the United States government, the Defense Department, just haven't had time to innovate or to work on, but commercial industry has. One of the big ones is uh, rendezvous and proximity operations. So um, the United States government doesn't necessarily, maybe they do, and I don't know because I don't have any security clearance whatsoever, <laughs> but um, doesn't necessarily have that ability, but some commercial entities do. And so the idea would be, let's have that same kind of system. Commercial entities signs up and says, these are my capabilities. If you need them, just call. And that's what we would want to see. Uh, this morning we heard from Major General Retired Ayers. He's the former Deputy uh, Judge Advocate of the Army. He's also the former General Counsel of the Air Force. He has a unique background in, in two different branches. And he was one of the individuals that helped craft the legislation that created the, the Space Force. This morning he noted the importance of military operators being able to focus on one domain. So focusing on on air or focusing on ground or, or the seas. And so it brought up this idea uh, of should the Space Force have its own JAG Corps to, to really be focused on the, the space domain? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. The, there is, you cannot overestimate the importance of space to our future. You, and, and the very unique situations that we're going to see in space have absolutely no terrestrial parallels. And a lot of people will say, oh, we'll take for maritime law. Oh, well, this is just like aviational. That is absolutely fundamentally not true. Um, low Earth orbit is a very limited area, um, and and it, it has very distinct rules about, you know, where, how satellites interact with each other. But space itself is infinite. And so when we think about our, our parallels terrestrially, we don't have anywhere on Earth that is infinite. We don't have anywhere on Earth where we're told you cannot claim territory, except for the high seas, but we're not getting um, telecommunication signals from the high seas. You know, you can't equate having a, 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 a pirate ship on the high seas or a, or a cruise ship with a satellite that is giving, um, you know, 
fundamental communications or remote sensing imagery, anything like that from space. And so this is a very, very unique domain. Um, we're barely scratching the surface of all of the things we can do, um, how we can harness the uh, resources or assets we have in space. And we, we need a, a space force, a space force JAG, that is open-minded, not bound by terrestrial models, and, and willing to uh, work within the bounds of international law to get the right laws in place to promote humanity and a spacefaring future. On the same note, um, do you think that there should be a, a form of uh, formal space legal education for, for certain JAGs, for example, the creation of a Space Force JAG school? It is, I think it's vital to uh, national security to have a Space Force, Space Force JAG school. And of course, I think it should be at the University of Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> no <mice. laughs> we, I can't promise that. Yeah. I, I agree, too, on a, on a personal level. Um, so the, the Space Force JAG, having a, a JAG core specifically devoted to space activities is one of the only ways we can actually meet all of the mission requirements that have been laid out for the Space Force because all of those mission requirements are going to be impinging on international law. And in order to meet those requirements with the least amount of conflict and resistance, you need lawyers to help the Space Force figure it out. And we can only do that if we have well-trained space lawyers doing that. I'm going to shift to maybe just giving some advice generally to some, some budding lawyers. I know you have two children who are actively serving in the military too, so I think this this is a, a great question for you. What are some tips that you might give to, to new JAGs who are, who are getting into space law and, and, and beginning their careers in this field? So the, the one thing that I would say is um, space is the most remarkable industry. Um, there is no parallel on Earth. There's no parallel in any other industry. Literally, the heavens are yours. And that means everything from, even from, from the concept of a space lawyer, if you've ever thought about a rule or a law or a regulation, and you said, God, that's stupid. Like, I can't believe we have to abide by this. Well, you know what? In space, either that law doesn't exist yet, um, and so you can prevent it from coming into existence, or um, it's in existence, but we have a very transparent and very fast-evolving process by which you can make that rule go away. So if you want to be able to frame the future of humanity, then you should be a space lawyer. All right, final question in the lightning round. What's the one big ticket issue that, that's really constantly on your mind in terms of, of space law right now? Protecting the boot prints on the moon. The, look, we, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. 50 years ago, we left the moon for the last time. And uh, we left behind boot prints and rover prints and uh, lunar modules and all these wonderful artifacts um, that have no stature under international law. And so we really need to work to uh, have a law that will protect those boot prints because um, you who are listening, you can actually go to the moon, you'll be able to go to the moon within the next three to four decades and actually see those boot prints and it would be criminal if they were erased. I'd like to thank you both, Major Aaron Brindleton. I'd like to see you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Uh, this is the Clamo team signing off from the Air Force Academy and the Spacecom Legal Conference. Catch Clamo on the Quill and Sword again the first Friday of next month and other departments from the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School throughout the month. 
views expressed or implied on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States Army JAG Corps or other organizations with which the participants are associated or by whom they are employed.